Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 92. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode here. If you're a regular listener to the show, you know how I feel about leadership. It is definitely the difference maker and the deal breaker. You know it's how we grow organizations. It's how we impact lives. And you also know that leadership is something we don't simply talk about here. Leadership is the action we are required and obligated to live out. Many of you know that I recently became a John Maxwell certified coach, teacher, and speaker. And with that, I can offer you workshops, seminars, keynote speaking, and coaching, helping you and aiding you in your personal and professional growth through study, and practical application of John Maxwell's proven methods. Working together, I can move you, your team, and your organization in the desired direction to reach your goals. You know, one of the many lessons I've learned over the past few months working with John Maxwell and his team is that leaders add value by serving others. And I'd like to serve you, helping you reach your purpose, your vision, and your goals through an intentional plan of development. You can find out more information at dosaleadership.com. Contact me. I'm looking forward to assisting you on your journey becoming a more successful leader. Well, I'm so thrilled to have on the show today, Fred Smith. He doesn't need much of an introduction. You know him as the chairman and chief executive officer of FedEx Corporation, the $44 billion global transportation, business services, and logistics company. FedEx has continued to strengthen its industry leadership over the past 40 years and has been widely acknowledged for its commitment to total quality service. FedEx Express was the first service company to win the Malcolm Baldridge National Quality Award in 1990, and FedEx has consistently been ranked on Fortune Magazine's industry lists, including World's Most Admired Companies, 100 Best Companies to Work For, and is on Fortune's Blue Ribbon Companies list. Fred, such an honor to have you on the show. Welcome to the Dose of Leadership Podcast. Thank you very much, Richard. Glad to be here. Well, you know, the breadth and scope of FedEx is just uh, phenomenal. You know, doing the, the interview prep, I just was blown away by a lot of the statistics. It's easy for all of us out here to take what your company does for granted because you've been so effective and efficient at it. But let's go over some of the numbers for our listeners out there. 270,000 team members over four business segments, 10 million packages delivered daily, 700 aircraft, 73,000 ground vehicles, just name a few, you know, and that the unprecedented access to the modern world that your company now provides just as mind-blowing. There must be times that you sit back and marvel at how far this organization organization has come since you delivered those first 186 packages back in April 1973. Well, there's no question about it. Um, and, and let me just uh, uh, correct one number. That's 270,000 team members in the U.S. It's about oh, 330,000 worldwide. We serve... Uh, 220 countries and uh, territories, but I'm always fond of uh, quoting a great American philosopher. Uh, Some of your younger listeners may not remember him, but Hogo the Possum was a great uh, cartoon character, and uh, he one time said, uh, the way to be a great leader is find a big parade and run in front of it. Uh Uh, To some degree, (laughs) that's what we've been doing. The industries which we serve uh, technology, healthcare, uh, automotive, aerospace, you name it, uh, with our various business segments, have uh, been 
the growth segments of the uh, economy over the last uh, 40 years, and uh, our team has done a great job of executing and both broadening and deepening what we do for our customer base, and that's how we went from a startup to $44 billion and all of those numbers. Yeah, it's just so so impressive, you know, and I guess I just you don't – like I said, it's easy for us to take it for granted, but I mean, the world is completely different now because of what you guys do. It's just amazing. Well, that's for sure. And um, I think the revolution in transportation and logistics, which was made possible by a lot of far-sighted deregulation that took place during the 1970s and uh, uh, the, uh, the 90s and then internationally during the first part of this century, have allowed um, the logistics networks that support business to be operated uh, along the lines of, of customer needs rather than, uh, you know, be governed by uh, very prohibitive regulations. And right. uh, the numbers are really astounding. Uh, when when um, the Congress started deregulating transportation in the late 70s, logistics were about... 16% of GDP, and today they're about 9.5%. So that's reflected in the society and, and all of the social benefits and so forth we've been able to afford. It's why we have systems like Amazon and Walmart, and uh, it, it's been a very unheralded revolution, I think, as you mentioned. Yeah. It's just amazing. I just, uh, you know, when I was doing the, like, so the prep and the homework, I just was kind of blown away from the numbers when I really had to intentionally look at it. It was just, it's just so impressive. You know, you were in the Marine Corps, something that we share, you were an officer uh, back in, uh, from 1966 to 1970. And, and I've said on the show and I've talked to a lot of people and I never realized how much the Marine Corps taught me about leadership and how, how much it was instrumental in my business life until I got away from it, until I was out of the Marine Corps. Did you have that same experience? I mean, and how instrumental was the Marine Corps, has it been in your style and philosophy? Well, it was absolutely at the center of everything that we've done. If you uh, go into a FedEx management uh, class, you would find the curricula very similar to what was mm. taught to you by the Marine Corps about leadership and, and management. And, of course, the Marine Corps um, has focused on its culture since the day it was established in 1775, and similarly, um, I think the most important asset that FedEx has uh, is is our culture yeah. and uh, the motivation of our team members and the application of, of uh, high standards and discipline and technology to pr produce the systems that we've done. So I tell everybody that asked me that question, what was the most important uh, influence on uh, your style of management, it's straight out of the Marine Corps. Yeah, I definitely got that. You know, looking through the, the Global's Manager's Guide and reading some material, it was straight out of the Marine Corps philosophy, and, and it was very, very refreshing and, of course, comforting for me, of course. And obviously, you can't do what you've done without great people, and that's what I love. I, what really struck me, I, I love how your company believes, and I'm quoting, that, that the foundation for growth is investment in people, and I love that. And I love your succinctly stated philosophy of people, service, profit. Talk to me about that. Well, again, it, 
goes right back to the Marine Corps. It won't surprise you that our management uh, school is actually called the Leadership Institute. Right. Because at the end of the day, um, it's the frontline folks uh, inside FedEx that really make the difference, not those of us up here at the at the executive level. And uh, the one thing the Marine Corps teaches you from the time that you come aboard um if you're going to be an NCO or an officer, is you take care of the troops. Right. Uh, you you make sure that their needs and and uh, their requirements are satisfied. Whether it's great training, uh, promotional opportunities, and by the way, of our top ten officers, I think uh, five of them all started out, uh, you know, in hourly positions. So. Um, it's just basic understanding that to uh, provide a high level of, of service the way we do, you have to have people willing to draw upon that discretionary effort that we, we all have and uh, many times don't give in the organizational setting. And uh, that's at the heart of the FedEx experiences. We try to take care of our people and in turn they try to give the very best service to our customers, which allows us to produce a surplus and reinvest in the business, and that's good for our people. It's just a continuous uh, continuous circle, so to speak. Yeah, you know, one, probably one of the greatest lessons I learned from the Marine Corps is, is and I say this all the time, and I see that the, the key to uh, speed, adaptability, flexibility, you name it, in business and in life, is this the idea of decentralized decision-making, and, and it seems like that is definitely predominant throughout your culture would you agree no question about it uh the most important uh, element in the fedex uh equation of success is uh the first line team member who who has it in his or her power to to satisfy the customer and then probably even more importantly that first line uh manager which would be the equivalent in the marine corps uh, uh, you know, to an NCO, a, a sergeant or a corporal, and to allow those people to have wide latitude uh, to meet the customer needs. Now, that means that every once in a while, somebody's going to make a mistake, and if you uh, have a culture that punishes people for making a decision when the decision was well-intentioned, then pretty soon you will gravitate down to uh, uh, mediocrity and uh, an inability to, to satisfy the, the customer needs. So it's absolutely central to our management authority to give somebody responsibility, to delegate them that responsibility, hold them accountable, and let them make the decisions as close to the action as they can make it. It sounds so simple, and it's just, I love it. I love it. It's music to my ears to hear you say that. Uh, just, I wonder why it why it's so difficult for some organizations to see that sometimes. I don't know. Well, I think a lot of organizations um, uh, talk a good game, uh, but when it really comes, uh, you know, to backing it up, they they don't do it. Um, I've seen time and time again somebody, you know, will make a decision, make a, a well-intentioned uh, move on something and maybe it doesn't quite work out and, uh, you know, you burn that individual, you discipline them or what have you, uh, then again, you may uh, have uh, you know, prevented that particular mistake 
from happening right. uh, again, but you will absolutely uh, paralyze the organization. We're just the opposite of that. I mean, we, we teach in our quality-driven management system, which I know you want to talk about a little bit, that errors are opportunities. Yeah. When there's a problem, view it as an opportunity to learn and engineer out the problem and so forth. But uh, I, I don't think the principles of leadership are particularly uh, hard to understand or to, to learn. They're just very difficult to do because it requires self-discipline and, and the ability to subordinate uh, the one's interest if you're in a position of authority to the interest of the organization achieving its goals and the and the team members being successful. Yeah, I agreed. And the courage involved in that and the and the willingness to accept the accountability. As a leader, if your team fails, if it's an honest mistake, you gotta be willing to accept the accountability of that failure. I think that's No the, question. Yeah. I love the that you say the the purple promise is the most important thing we do. I love that kind of phrase, the purple promise. What is that and why is it what is it exactly? Well, it's, it's a complementary um, uh, mantra to our PSP philosophy, and it, it simply states, um, I will make every FedEx experience outstanding. And um, uh, that's what uh, guides all of our folks every day. If you walk up to a FedEx team member, I would be very surprised if they didn't uh, give you the exact verbiage I did if you ask them what is the purple promise. And you see, when you have um, when you have something that's that simple and straightforward, it's a it's a great uh, it's a great guide uh, for your actions. Right. I mean, do what's necessary to take care of the customer or your fellow teammate in the accomplishment of the of the mission. And I want to make every FedEx experience outstanding, whatever I'm doing. So going hand in hand with that, if you know to make every FedEx experience outstanding, then you you mentioned it a second ago the, the quality driven management, the QDM you target. That, yeah. That's kind of the tools and the tactics for the Purple Promise. Is that right? Yeah, it is. And remember, um, uh, FedEx is a very large company. It has four operating divisions, not dissimilar to the Department of Defense. You know, there's an Army and a Navy and an Air Force. We have FedEx Express. Our Global Air Express operation, FedEx Ground, our ground parcel operation, FedEx Freight, which is a network for uh, less than truckload freight shipments, and then our uh, solutions group, including our retail uh, arm FedEx office. And we use a branding convention that's similar to what Coke does, uh, different colors, but the same uh, logo. So purple and orange is FedEx Express, purple and green, ground, purple and red, Freight, purple and blue, um, FedEx office. Each one of them has a particular mission. Each one of them has a complete focus on the segment that they serve. But the common color is purple. Right. If you look at the FedEx, you'll see the FED is always in purple. So that's how that correlates back to the to the purple promise. The quality driven management system is um, a a mathematical uh, based um, management system that goes down to the first uh, line of management. It's integrated with our management compensation and incentives, and it's built along the the lines of the the great uh, quality methodologies that were originally developed by uh, American defense industries during World War II. They called it zero defect. Yeah, and they 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 these practices were picked up 
by uh, Professor uh, Deming and Professor Duran. They were the two uh, gurus of this scientific uh, method of management, which had at its heart engineer out through the use of mathematics and quantitative analysis defects and reworks and, and rework and and uh, customer problems. And not only does the uh, customer satisfaction go up, the costs go down because defects uh, cost on a 110-100 basis. In other words, if you fix it on the front end where there is no defect, it costs you a dollar. If you have to remediate it, it costs you uh, 10 times that amount. If you have to deal with the consequences of a, of a defect, it can be 100 times that. Mm. So... These methodologies were picked up, interestingly enough, by the Japanese after World War II. On the, um, the Japanese actually had a prize. They call it the Deming Prize. It was the highest award you can can get in Japanese business. And you mentioned that FedEx was the the uh, largest service company ever. When the the United States equivalent of that, the Malcolm Baldridge Quality Award, named for a wonderful man who was our Secretary of Commerce. And this methodology allowed uh, Japanese automotive and electronic manufacturers to be extraordinarily successful. It's now heavily used in the United States. General Electric uh, has a system they call it Six Sigma. Yeah. Uh, Ford has a great system. Ours is called Quality Driven Management, but it's all built on that same principle of constant uh, effort uh, down to the first level of management to engineer out and rework and change processes to constantly improve. Yeah, and I guess going hand in hand for that to be successful, going back to that kind of decentralized, making sure those frontline managers have that delegated authority to kind of raise the flag, I guess, if you will, or, or, uh, you know, well, it's it's uh, not only delegated authority, Richard, it's also if you go into uh, FedEx uh, Express location in Singapore uh, or one in Sioux City, you will find the first level management that are speaking exactly the same yeah. language, using exactly the same tools, using exactly the same uh, analysis to deal with uh, the issues in their area of responsibility. Yeah. A powerful uh, system. You know, it was refreshing a lot of it you know, when you sent me the Global Manager's Guide when we set up this interview, and it was such a refreshing read. I mean, maybe I'm because I'm a leadership uh, a nut, and I'm just I devour that stuff. But of all the, it was so refreshing because I love the quote in there, and I'm quoting out of the manual that this manual can never replace your own judgment and individual cares concerning your employees. And I love that, and it reminded me. You know, it goes back to you know flying for the Marine Corps when I was a pilot, and then the NATOPS manual. You know that it all says, "Hey, this is the book that you got to follow it to the letter." Just you know, you got all these policies, procedures, the bold face, the memory items, and you, and you can't deviate from it. However, and I'm quoting from the NATOPS manual: "There's no substitute for sound judgment and common sense." Well, clearly, and um, it goes back to the original questions that you asked me about leadership. Uh, if you don't have enough confidence. Uh, in somebody to make a judgment about a situation which is unprecedented or where there aren't any set of rules that tell you exactly what to do, you right. probably shouldn't have put that person in a position of authority to begin with, which gets to the whole issue about how you select leaders, and we work hard on that too. Some people 
can be leaders, some can't, uh, some can be trained to be leaders, a very few are what you would call transformational leaders are really those that you can tell have natural ability to um, lead people and inspire them and, and, and manage their work. But that's a, an equally important part of the success equation is selecting good first-level uh, managers. Now, it doesn't mean that somebody who's not potentially a good leader isn't a valuable member of the team, uh, but it, it means you better put them in the right position where they're an individual contributor or they work on technology or some sort of analysis because you put somebody that doesn't have those leadership skills uh, in a position of authority, you will you will have a morale problem pretty quick because the, the leadership principles will invariably be violated and it will have the predictable effect of lowering the unit's performance. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we see it so often where people get pushed, put into a leadership position. You know, they're usually put there because of success in some technical area because they were successful mm-hmm. at being this. And then when, when you soon find out that the leadership skill set is completely different from the technical skill set. And uh, you're right. Putting people in the right position is so key. You know, you've, you've answered some of this already, but I'm, it's an age-old argument. I, I, get, I talk about this almost weekly with somebody, the difference between management and leadership. I mean, what is it to you? What are the major differences? Well, if the, if the function requires um, people, subordination of tasks to, to a group or a team, then you have to be a good manager and a good leader uh, both. Uh, if you don't have to achieve your organization's objectives through other people, then you can also be an effective manager of things. You might be the manager of a fully automated power plant. Right. Where there are no people. I mean, you have to make sure the right technology is selected, that the right monitoring systems are in place, uh, the appropriate security is there. Uh, that would be an example of someone who, uh, you know, can be an effective manager and doesn't have to be an effective leader. But if, if you've got um, a pickup and delivery operation for um, FedEx Freight in Kansas City and you're uh, overseeing, you know, numerous dock handling operations and pickup and delivery operations and the dispatch and the um, arrival of, of line haul operations, you have to accomplish what you accomplish through those individual team members. Now you have to also uh, be an effective leader. And leadership is nothing more than subordinating the activities of the team to the accomplishment of uh, organizational goals. So they are different and they can be separate, but certainly in most service organizations or military organizations or athletic organizations, you have to be an effective leader as well as being a good manager. Yeah. Amen. What do you think some of the biggest leadership challenges that we're faced with these days? Is it different than it was 40 years ago? Oh, of course. Uh, first and foremost, um, you you have um, a different level of, of expectation on the part of the people that are in the workforce. Mm-hmm. I think m- my generation, and I'm 69, much less the generation just, uh, you know, my parents, were much more uh, accepting of authority or... Um, wrote requirements 
uh, people today are much more sophisticated just by virtue of the amount of information they're exposed to, and it requires even greater levels of leadership to get uh, them committed to um, to an appropriate level of performance. They're um, you know very um, intelligent uh, people. Uh, you have to answer those fundamental sociological questions that. Uh, Maslow and others have put out there, you know, what do you expect of me? Uh, what do I do to get ahead? Uh, what's in this for me? Where do I go to get justice? And all of our policies and systems are designed to deal with those types of expectations of today's workforce. And then secondarily, it, it, it's much more legalistic. Mm, yeah. uh, we operate in, in an environment where there are federal and state laws and regulations at every turn, so uh, you have to be much more uh, attuned to those types of, of boundaries than uh, was the case in the, in the past. Yeah. So I, I think those are uh, two of the most uh, important things about today's workplace versus 40 years ago. Yeah. What about people that have impacted you as a leader? Who was? Who can you name a person who's had a tremendous impact on you? Well, I was. Um, um, I did not have a, a, a father because my my father passed away when I was four years of age. So mm. I was heavily influenced by my three uncles, my mother's brothers all of whom had been in the military during World War II and were were veterans. Um, and my uh, coaches and teachers, I think uh, I've probably been uh, as influenced as well by trying to study the great uh, managers and leaders of, of history, and I'm particularly fond of... of um, uh, reading about General George Marshall and, and Admiral Chester Nimitz, yeah. who were both very self-effacing, uh, highly competent uh, men of high character whose contributions to saving the world during World War II are vastly underappreciated yeah. today versus some of the self-promoting figures of that time. Agreed, yeah. I love those two examples for sure. I love how everybody – I ask that question a lot. I love how everybody goes back. It's so It's always – back to their family you know there's always somebody in teachers and coaches and what just just makes you realize how important it is as a family member as a father or whatever how important your impact is so i love it how everybody goes back to that no question about that at all yeah you know s- some t- tips and tactics for listeners out there what do you think is a characteristic that you think every leader should possess without question well i think um uh you have to be honest with yourself and with others, and uh, a close second is you have to be objective. Yeah. Um, I think objectivity um, is the key element in successful management. If you're unable to, uh, you know, to stand back and, and stare the truth in the face, even when it's unpleasant, you're not going to be very effective. And, um, you know, if you gild the lily with people and tell them what you think they want to hear rather than what you actually think or what they need to hear, it's not going to be long before the corrosive effects of that type of, uh, uh, you know, 
feel-good type of management come back to haunt you. So um, I think those are almost equally important in uh, the traits that leaders have to possess. Yeah, I love that. I love the objectivity piece. I've, that's first. You're absolutely. There's so many things, but you're right. I love that uh, the ability to be authentic and and the authenticity. I think is is so key. And 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 if you have those two traits, uh, it, it 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 evolves necessarily in, into uh, you know having courage of your convictions because if you're objective and if you're honest, you've got to have the courage to tell somebody absolutely. they're not doing a good job. That's or, right. Uh, to to speak truth to power That's or right. to um, do the right thing when it's easy not to do the right thing. But you have to be honest with yourself and others, and you have to be objective to uh, before you get to that point. And then then you have to have the courage to make make the uh, make the call. Yeah, you know, it kind of tied with that, and I'm sure you've seen a lot. You know, sometimes bad examples of leadership you learn so much from. I know I did. Um, what what is one behavior or trait that you've seen kind of throw people off the tracks of of a, of a leadership career? Uh, I think it's um, trying to um, do what they think is necessary to get promoted or get ahead, rather yeah. than do what they they think or know is right. There's a famous story about George Marshall where he was the chief of staff of a division and and general pershing the head of all the armies in france during world war one came in and just berating the the division commander and and uh general marshall then a colonel stepped forward and said uh, general all due respect you're wrong it's it's your your headquarters who created yeah. this problem not our division commander nobody ever spoke to general pershing who was a formidable figure uh with that type of candor and and honesty and everybody in that tent i guess uh, felt that that was the end of colonel marshall's career well general pershing was so impressed with it he he brought george marshall up and made him his chief of staff and Mm -hmm. that was really why george marshall ended up essentially running world war ii for the united states of america as the head of the uh, army during the war of the subco war world war ii yeah, you know, I th- I say this kind of one of the biggest butt chewings I got in the Marine Corps. And it really wasn't a, a it wasn't the yelling butt chewing. It was like the disappointed father, which butt chewing, which was even worse. Was on, <laughs> when I worked. Yeah, for, of course. When I worked for the, I was a captain in a major's billet up at the wing and the the one star, and I was in a meeting and I had to give, you know, it was a lot of information about an embassy evacuation. And I had to give him all this information and it was a fast meeting to make a decision. And I'm standing there as the only captain in this room full of. You know, lieutenant colonels and colonels and the one star, and and um, I didn't give, I didn't speak up when I, and I disagreed with what he said. And uh, long story short, um, it didn't matter at the end of the day, but it found out in conversation when I was having with the colonel that I, you know, found out that I, I disagreed with what the general said. And he called me in his office and he said, you know, what am I paying you? He was so disappointed in me that because you were obligated. It's not your right to challenge me. It's your obligation as a Marine Corps officer. And it just really yeah. struck with me. And, and uh, so, yeah, I, th- I think that's a great lesson. Yep. What advice would you give for those listeners out there, people who may be just getting into the leadership pool for the first time? What would you give those seeking to become a better leader? Well, to study the, the great leaders of history or um, to seek out uh, the type of, of uh, training we've been talking about, which uh, steeps you in the fundamentals of 
of leadership and to understand the technical aspects of the of the management craft. They're all there. There are all kinds of resources and capabilities to get that kind of education. But uh, you wouldn't go out and, and try to play football if somebody hadn't educated you on the, you know, the exchange from center of the forward pass or the punt. And uh, it's important for people who want to be successful as a manager or a leader. And as we've discussed many times, you have to be both to be successful, particularly in the service industries. You have to become a student of what you're doing. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to know that what I'm getting from that is it is a learnable skill. And I think a lot of people don't realize how learnable the skill leadership is. If, if you've got the willingness and the desire and the courage to be a leader, you can definitely improve your leadership skills for sure. Yeah. Well, last question, Fred. It's been so much fun, but what's next for FedEx? You know, I'm interested what innovations, products, processes can we expect? Is there anything on the horizon? Well, we have a lot of uh, ideas out there, and um, um, our customers and the public will be seeing them over the next few years. But essentially, the main focus of FedEx is to continue to do better and better for our customers. We're obviously a for-profit institution. We have to make a surplus to continue in business, so we need to perform for our share owners. And I can promise you as we both innovate and and grow and, and hopefully are financially successful, we'll do the right thing for our team members and the communities we serve, too, because that's a big part of our belief about success. Well, gosh, Fred, it's been a true th- uh, thrill and honor to have you on the show. I've been looking so forward to this interview. I'm, I'm a fan of FedEx and, of course, of I know a lot of buddies are pilots out there, too. So, I mean, I, I have a kinship to the co- the company for obvious reasons, but uh, I'm so thrilled and refreshing to talk to a top-level CEO that seems to understand common sense leadership as well as you do. So thank you so much for giving us your time today. I'm delighted to be with you. Our uh, pilots did a great job for us keeping that purple promise, and um, it was my pleasure to speak to you. Okay, Fred, we'll talk to you again soon. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.